Welcome to the Woke Blokes podcast, hosted by Nick Sutherland from MindFit and Ryan Hassan from the Center for Healing. Let's get into today's episode. I've been I've been studying psychotherapy and Buddhism, so we can touch on that as well if you want. It's, it's yeah. Very- Let's touch on it now. Well, what's, how, how long has it been? It's been like a few weeks you've been studying it, yeah? Yeah, we're up to week four. Week four, and? Yeah. How's it going? Uh, it's amazing. So it's all online, so it's a bit yeah. different. So um, psychology through a, a Buddhist lens. Psychotherapy. Right, okay. As I explained to, explained to clients, the difference between psychology and psychotherapy is that psychology, ology is study of, and psyche is the mind. So it's psychology is study of the mind. So it's, there's so many fields of psychology. Whereas psychotherapy is therapy of the mind. So mm-hmm. that's, there's, a, there's many modalities of, of therapy that you can employ. So psychologists, I know a lot of them do therapy of the mind, um, but yeah, a lot of them also just do the study of them on how does the brain work and all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. So right. uh, yeah, so we're doing psychotherapy in Buddhism and um just just looking at how mindfulness and buddhist philosophy can be integrated into the approach so obviously been doing this for two years uh, just of my own volition um and then i came across this course i was like yeah you beauty someone's actually other people are doing this yay this is cool (laughs) so it's been great for me to pull my brain out and, and have it shaken and you know, seeing what falls out and I get to ask the, the amazing um, instructor, Dr. Tan, um, he's from Malaysia. He's, a, he's actually a, a doctor, a medical doctor, but he's also a long history with Buddhism and now psychotherapy and everything. So tapping into to that knowledge source has been amazing. Um, wow. But it's it's all it's it's good to hear what you already know, but you're just hearing yeah. it in a different term for it, or you know you're coming across all this stimulus and it challenges your belief system. Um, and I guess this is what our clients do when they come into contact with us, and and you get to sit there and reassess it and reevaluate it. And I'm finding a lot of it's too not psycho, but it's too convoluted. So I keep trying to simplify it as much as I can because mm-hmm. I'm trying to translate two and a half thousand years of philosophy to to my clients you know so i'm trying to be a bridge between that so i'm I'm taking it i'm modifying a little bit i'm i'm tossing out what i don't need and just keeping what i do need and yeah uh, i think with that's with anything to do with you know working with the mind it's like the more we can simplify things the better because you can get stuck down so many different rabbit holes and look at so many different studies and then look at all, all different translations of buddhist <clears throat> buddhist scriptures or whatever mm. other scriptures you're looking at and yeah like you said it can get super convoluted and super uh complicated because you know there are if you look at depending on which area of psychotherapy or psychology you're looking at there'll be so many conflicting ideas that say yeah. one thing and then the other thing and then people will be like but hang on i've heard this over here and i've heard this over here and it's like it makes a lot of people just want to throw it up in the air and go fuck if i know so if you can you can <laughs> simplify things down a bit for people it uh it definitely helps 
Well, mindfulness, it's, the, 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 Dr. Tan was calling it mech mindfulness because it's all the rage these days. Everyone's trying to sell yeah. mindfulness and it's just awareness. That's all it is. It's just being aware and in the moment. Um, and yeah, you've got to do certain meditative practices to condition the minds to be present and to, to, to be aware. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been great just to be challenged, I guess, stimulated. Like we're talking today about how we're in such a, uh, society that's down to rushing and speeding and how mm. no one's got time. And I, I argued that we've all got the same time, but we've just lost our capacity to spend it. Mm. You know, it's because we're, we're in this, as we say all the time, we're in a state of deficiency. So we're, we're creating this craving, I need more, so therefore I'm going to rush. And we end up being like speedboats skimming across the surface instead of just being on a lie low, you know, and floating and paddling along and stopping and having a chat and really going for a swim, looking at what's under the water. Oh, there's a turtle, there's a rock, you know, deepening our experience. It's, it's like, um, the reminds me of the doco that you put uh, me onto the, my octopus teacher. Yeah. And, he, and he like, instead of, you know, going, Oh, I've seen this bit now I'll go to this bit and this bit and this bit. He just yeah. got so familiar with that particular small part of the ocean that he, he kind of became part of it himself and had a very, very different experience. Well, you were mellow doing that. I did it when I went to Hua Hin. I decided, and I talked to my clients about this in, in when I'm trying to educate them about being still and, and deep and, and being engaged instead of just consuming. And when I moved to Hua Hin, I purposely didn't hire a car or a scooter i mm. purchased a bicycle because i just wanted to take my time i wanted to slow down i wanted to stop and taste this or smell that or walk in and say hi and you know it's i've been back there four times now for work and every time i go back i'm just riding down the street here hi good nick hi good nick <laughs> and, and i'm turning around there's someone waving out of a shop or a little street store somewhere and you wouldn't have had that if I was in a car or speeding past on a, on a motorbike. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's a different experience. I, I literally, I wrote down a quote. I'm just going to pull it up on my phone here uh, yesterday. And it's a Carl Jung quote. And um, this is often what people do, especially in our field of um, people who are, you know, trying to get that we talk about a lot that next certificate or that next bit of knowledge and that kind of thing and moving from one bit of knowledge to the next. And uh, Carl Jung said, intellectualism is often a common cover up for fear of direct experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That was my reaction. I was like, mm. yeah. <laughs> I, I heard something similar about uh, intellectualizing is, is different. I can't remember the exact thing. Intellectualizing is one thing, but uh, wisdom is another thing and, and we're addicted to we're addicted to knowing yeah we're addicted yep. to intellectualizing which things. is essentially like that like skimming across the water on the boat it's like, let, yeah. let me see how many things i can touch on how many different subjects i can sound interesting about without ever actually really diving down into a lot of them through so, through through direct experience so bruce lee's quote i don't fear the man that's done ten thousand kicks once i fear the man that's done one kick ten thousand times 
Because that shit's going to hurt. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm learning that with my Muay Thai training at the moment. Uh, yeah, right. Nico. Yeah. It's uh, this guy, Dowden is my master down there. And he, uh, yeah, he's, he's killing me, man. It's hard, hard work. Yeah. You know, especially, especially those, on the humidity as well. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. When it gets to the afternoon before a lesson, I'm like, come on, be a little bit cloudy and windy, please. <laughs> <laughs> Turn the fans on. No. No, we're not doing it. Hey, what are your what are your thoughts on? Uh, you know, when people say, "I can't believe it's Christmas already," I can't, or "I can't believe I'm fifty already," or "I can't believe," you know, where's that time gone? Yeah. Uh, what are you What are your thoughts on that? What, what's What's happening there? Uh, it's just that there's so much for our uh, consciousness to take in that oftentimes we look at an area of our life and normally it is to do with, yeah, it's Christmas already or it's June already or whatever the hell, or it's my birthday already. And it's like... Um, so we focus on the big bits, not the, not all the bits in between. Yeah, 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 I think so. I think so. Yeah, it is It is interesting. I, I, I do it as well sometimes. Like, I, like what, what month are we in? Yeah, I can't believe, you know, I've been in Costa Mui for eight months already. Like, it's just... But, like, but like once again, it's weird to say that. I know that you'll say, because, like, it's just... It's, it is what it is. Like, it's, you've been here for that time. Because yeah. then you'll have days... Because I'll have, I'll, I'll have days or weeks that feel like a month, you know? Like, this is why time is so funny. Like, like I'll have a day that feels like a week or a week that feels like a month, but then all of a sudden I'll look back now and go, oh, eight months has gone like that. But during that eight months, there was periods that felt like, you know, much larger yeah, yeah, chunks yeah. of time. So I hypothesize that most people are present every once every couple of minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so imagine there's, there's 60 minutes in an hour. I, I'd, I'd say that people are probably present for, in general in the business of their lives, um, maybe 10 to 20 times through, through that hour. You reckon? Yeah. Okay. Actually present. Maybe not even. Maybe maybe I'm being very generous. I think you're being very generous. Maybe being very... I'm just trying to do the math and I'm tired, so I'm probably being <laughs> very generous. I, but when, I, when people ask me how often do I meditate and I say uh, I live a very meditative life, I, I don't sit down and... I practice, I do a meditative practice. I'll sit down and meditate as a practice, but that's just to condition my mind for out there. So it's like footy training on a Tuesday and Thursday night, but then I'll go and play the actual game and I'll perform out there. Mm -hmm. So I'd say I I think I'm present in the moment. I'm... Oh, when I had that orange in the Vibhashana retreat, I was was in every fourth millisecond, perhaps. That was like yeah. a hyper, hyper presence kind of yeah, state. Yeah, totally. And I was, I, I sat next to a pond for 40 minutes and I just watched all the insects land on the water and, and leave. And it was, it, was, it was amazing. I was like, oh, there's a rising and cessation. There's coming, there's going, <laughs> there's flow, there's flow. And, but not once in that 40 minutes did I think, fuck, I'm bored. Mm because I was so engaged, I was so connected, I was so deep in that experience. And so, yeah, for me, I think if we can, if we can be more mindful during our day-to-day, if we can actually be present and connected and ground ourselves and stop and take a minute just to do three deep breaths every hour, you know, just 
it's, it, we're forcing ourselves to slow down, set an mm. alarm on your clock or something. Um, I, I think there would be less people that say, I can't believe it's Christmas. Yeah, yeah. So more more consciousness, more presence. I like yeah. the analogy you use with sport because with, with, with meditation, yeah, people get a bit obsessed with like, yeah, what meditation do you do? How long do you do it? What time of day do you do? What, what, what app do you use? And that kind of thing. And then they think that their, their time to be present is just when they're sitting on the pillow, right? But it's like mm. you, you, you sit on the pillow in order for that to bleed into the rest of your life. So it's not so much just about being on the pillow. And I think with, with sport, like you do the training and then game day is the time that you think about things less, because like you've trained, you, you've trained you your body in the moment because you yeah, because you're under, say there's more pressure or say you're like playing in the AFL and there's a big crowd when there's crowds again. Um, it's like, you, you, you don't think cause you're kind of overwhelmed, but your body is trained in a certain way to act out certain movements. That's why people like <laughs> Dustin yeah. Martin can snap these goals <laughs> in a grand final because his, his body has been trained so well that it just acts in that moment. But then he doesn't walk around with an expectation that I should just be able to kick those goals. It's he 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 conditions himself exactly to do that. But most people are walking around with an expectation that they should be happy, and they should feel calm. They should be present, but they're not. They're not. They're not turning up to training. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So it's this. That's why I think that's what we, we. There's this evolution. It's like people want to start this meditation practice, or they want to be more calm and that kind of thing. So you go and you you set your time and your ritual and do that. But then that you, you got to be careful that doesn't become the escape. And this is the only time that I'm trying to going to try and feel calm. And mm-hmm. and that can happen when people have a really nice experience as well in meditation. Like you might have this this moment where you know you thoughts stop and you get like a visions or light show or something or you have this incredible feeling of peace or calm and that's akin to like the um because i've worked with so many gambling addicts right it's like mm. the it's, it's the classic it's the the person who went and played the poker machines for the first time and had a massive win uh, and, and then i'm like they're, and they're like they're hooked so where is the first time i went and i won six grand i'm like oh no, no, no. <laughs> oh the no worst thing that could have happened yeah it's the worst thing and it's so funny because we'll often then we have to do work and go back and and balance out their perception so normally we go back to kind of uh root cause events where it's you know there's like a negative emotion attached it's like let's mm-hmm. let's let's work somatically with the negative emotion so we can balance out our perception on this bad event but mm-hmm. with a lot of those ones we have to go back and actually process the positive I'm emotion the, the elation so they can actually see the downside to it and you know we have I remember I had one guy and he was just shocking on gambling, the punt, you know, and, and we went back and yeah, it was literally a, a poker machine one like I was talking about. And he remembered he was just so excited and so happy. He just won all this money. And then once we actually just worked through his elation and everything and calmed everything down, he realized, oh, I won the money, but I was just fucking alone. Like, I was, just sitting, I was just sitting there with a bunch of old retired people. <laughs> I, I, had, I had no one to really share that with. So maybe it wasn't this amazing a moment that I thought it was because we create this strong positive association, which then we're always trying to chase. And so if we relate that back to meditation, people then get attached to it. Well, I've got to go and sit on that pillow so I can have that experience again. When all you're doing then is trying to escape the life that you were trying to improve through meditation <laughs> by using meditation as an escape. Yeah, well, that, that client of yours, he was sitting in that chair surrounded by that old people because he was 
trying to escape or he was chasing something else. So he was in suffering in some yes. form sitting in that chair. And when he got $6,000, it was like, yay, I've got this. I am now, this made me happy, but he doesn't have that inherent happiness. So he's it actually created and, and conditioned and deepened and enabled him to, to stay in that pattern, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the same with, with drugs. Then you're always trying to chase that, that happiness or the alleviation of suffering um, and th- that you got for this short period of time at the start. And that becomes, it's like that's chasing the dragon is the, the term, yeah. you know, it's, that, that's a thing that you'll never catch. Yeah. But it, I don't think meditators or meditative teachers or something have helped people to meditate because they've made it so convoluted or, or there's so many forms of it and you've got to do this and you have to have this incense and this candle and this room and this time of day and blah, blah, blah. And they've, they've made it too complex. They've put too many barriers and obstacles between yeah. it for people. So what we're trying to do with, the, with our meditation centre is just, just one thing. It's... It's come and sit in stillness. We're not doing any guided meditation. We're not doing any, oh, and float on a cloud and release all of the blah. You know, it's going to be based in love and compassion, but it's, you've got to come in and do the work. You know, it's, um, people will come in from their busy day. And so we'll start off with Anapana. We'll start off with just focusing on the breath, just, just to hone the mind, bring it, ground yourself back in your body come back to to your being and then just observe the the sensations that will arise and fall there'll be stimulus of a thought you know we can't stop our thoughts we we just we just learn to distant and 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 move away from them Mm -hmm. the thoughts are still going to be generating somewhere um it's like the clock ticking in the background we just stop hearing the clock um so a lot of people think they have to meditate to stop their thoughts which Mm -hmm you're going to die. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, it's uh, something that you won't achieve. And any, anyone who says, oh, we're going to teach you how to stop your thoughts, just run the other way. But I like, yeah, I, the analogy of like, I always think about it as like most people with their thoughts, it's like a dog, like a rabid dog right in their face, just barking at them all the time. But as you get better, that dog sort of moves further away and all of a sudden it's sort of a few blocks around the corner and there's this faint little yap yap you can hear, but it doesn't distract you from the, the present moment. Interesting segue. I had a client in uh, a live meditation the other morning online and he goes into a room at five to six and closes the door, but then he's got a wife and two kids in the house and he's got a dog as well. And uh, so I think this is his third week into it. And in the past, the dog's been, oh, I'm going to hit my microphone here, so just be careful. He, he can hear this dog scratching at his door. As this is, and he said it used to be sort of like nails down the chalkboard. You know, yeah. he just he couldn't tolerate it. it. It triggered a stream of thoughts, and who's going to fucking get up and get the dog? And should I open the door? And it was just his settled mind. Like he, he's been meditating, and his settled mind would just become so unsettled, so distorted and disturbed. Um, but he said the other day he actually heard the and he just sat there and he observed it and he was like all right it's just the dog at the door it'll go away it's not not going to keep going it'll figure out that i'm not going to open the door blah blah blah. if the family want to stop it they'll stop it they know what i'm doing and just went through this split second process and it's returned back to his breath and 
he said Beautiful. for him to de- develop that level of tolerance on a deep internal level uh, and 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 a, and a capacity just to observe things objectively without imposing his beliefs or what he thinks should or shouldn't be happening he he wasn't trying to change the reality he wasn't trying to alter reality mm-hmm. which many people do and i mean you know better than a lot of people people do that through drug use but every day people are trying to alter their reality and and shape shift it and change no that that shouldn't happen no this should be like that oh, i wish that would be different yeah 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 i think that came up on our last show that word tolerance i think that's what it is it's just being able to instead of trying to manipulate reality it's like how how much more tolerant can we become because the noise the scratching at the door it's just a sound like there's there's sounds yeah. going on all the time it's just a sound but then there's this there's this if we can't tolerate a sound it doesn't mean you change it, it doesn't mean like if, if a dog is scratching and wants to come in you can get up and let the dog in but you either get up and let the dog in and go hey buddy or you go fucking hell and you let the dog in and you're pissed off at the dog it's the same sound What's yeah? So it's that external stimulus is dictating how you feel, which people are experiencing day in and out thousands of times a day. So doing this form of meditation helps you to remain more equanimous, calm, and composed, and just observing. And in that space, so when all of a sudden when we're not heightened, we're not going to turn up and be aggressive towards the dog. We're not going to be destructive in our nature. We're going to be compassionate and kind and loving. Um, I had another client the other day say he, he does the fixes the power lines where after there's been an accident or whatever, and he turned up. He said in the past he'd get a he'd get a message saying go to this job. Um, there's police there, you know, there's a fire or whatever, um, and his mind would start jumping to all these conclusions and worst case scenario and it's going to be fucked and is this going to be there? And so he like AFL players, he'd played the game before he got there. You know, and so when he got there, he was in such a heightened state that when he'd have to deal with people, he'd be coming from this agitated state. Um, and he said the other day he got this message, this police there, and he, he felt the train trying to leave the station. And he's like, whoa, whoa, no, 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 put the, put the brakes on, pulled it back. He's like, don't you fucking dare leave. But he had the mindfulness and the awareness to, to detect that train of thought trying to leave. And then he had the skills to pull it back. And he just remained present and he turned up to the job. And the owner of the house was obviously in suffering. He's, he's a tree had fallen on his house. Yep. So he's a bit, bit pissed off. And he got... Um, and, and he's like, oh, it took you fucking ages to get there. You know, he's really agitated, really in, the, in my client's face. And my client said it was amazing. He just stood there and he saw this man's agitation as a form of suffering. Mm-hmm. And because he wasn't heightened when he got there, he went into compassion mode and he reassured this man, it's going to be okay. Yes, we understand. Okay. Love, 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 just oozing out of him. And he said within the 10 minutes, this dude's nature had turned significantly to where he was like, oh, you guys are the best. Thanks so much. You know, does anyone want a beer or a cup of tea? Or is it, you know, thank, oh, I really appreciate you being here, guys. So his, that, his, that, his presence and compassion changed the situation and changed the energy of that man. But he, he could only achieve that through managing prior... Exactly. ...stimulus, you know. He yeah. didn't get there heightened. 
yeah, he'd, he'd, he'd been training that part, you know. I often yeah. even get people to start. It's like really easy. And because like you said, we're all rushing, 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 which is, um, you know, cortisol and adrenaline. Like as a society, mm. we're so addicted mm. to cortisol and adrenaline and being in that uh, sympathetic nervous system. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just for people to, and there's a real practical tip they can do right now is just on your phone to set an alarm every hour. If you don't do it every hour, do it every, every couple of hours or a couple of times a day. And you simply just do what's called a, a four, seven, eight breath, which is really simple. Yeah. It's just, it's just inhaling through the nose uh, deeply for four seconds and then holding for seven seconds and then breathing very slowly out through the mouth or nose. It's easy probably to purse the, the lips and just. And what you do by making the out breath twice as long as the in breath, you start to come out of sympathetic into parasympathetic nervous system, which is more calm and relaxed. And I think if you, people have a, a trigger where they can just do that once an hour and it's only take, do it, do it a couple of minutes, do like 10 breaths of that. Then we do can it, start do it at the traffic lights, do it when you're driving. Exactly. Um, and that's the thing we don't have to with mental health it's, it's it's so different to physical health and you don't have to allocate time and energy to it mental health is something that we can train all throughout our day every second of every day because there's always sources of stimulus there's always going to be a message you know, go to this job there's police there that's an opportunity to do a mental rep if you're current pattern is to get into a heightened anxious state because you're jumping to conclusions and your mind gets distorted and bent out of shape there's an opportunity to go whoa 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 no 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 come come back back ah gentle right that's working on your mental health yeah going for a drive oh red light thank you red light ah now's an opportunity for me to take a breath in and uh, an extra long breath out yeah but and then we start living in that gratitude. Thank you, red light. Thank you, person, for stopping and breaking down. I have an opportunity now. Everything's an opportunity. Yeah, yeah. So that, that, that red light is an opportunity to get pissed off or it's an opportunity to calm the nervous system and, and, and do those breaths. And then, like you said, after you do that a few times, then you, you, you welcome a red light, you know? Because <laughs> then all of a sudden, when you do enough of these mental reps, which is your word that I love, it's that, you know, all of a sudden, <clears throat> even if then you're like, but, but what if I'm already five minutes late to a meeting? You'll realize that being 10 minutes late to a meeting doesn't matter. <laughs> I, 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 and that's the thing. I've been speaking to clients this week about our overinflated sense of self-importance if i if i don't turn up the the, the a meteorite will hit planet earth it's it's just and i'm like no i, I got an email from the universe earlier saying you're fired you're no longer the center of the universe <laughs> <laughs> and and they have a bit of a chuckle with that but i, I love seeing clients progression we picked someone else it was you it was you <laughs> but you fucked up and we picked you're someone else in the center of the you're, universe you're abusing your power <laughs> <laughs> you expected everyone to go at your pace from here from home to work and then you're getting frustrated when there was road work so you're yeah. out you failed that, the test that that on time one for me so I, I had created a belief and i honestly can't even remember where i heard it i don't even think it was my parents i think i just i can't remember where i heard it but i i heard somewhere that if you are late to meet someone 
then it's the ultimate sign of arrogance because you're putting your time ahead of their time. And for mm. some reason, I had this link between being on time uh, or being late and being arrogant. And, mm. and, and because I, I also had that coupled with the belief that everyone has to like me, <laughs> right? Ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now you can see where I'm going. So I would, <laughs> I would always be uh, early, uh, even if I was running on time, I would get start to get pissed off on the way to things because I'm like, there's a chance I could be late. And I would, I would even, if there was unforeseen circumstances, like a big uh, breakdown or, you know, something happening mm. with traffic, I would literally message people and say, Hey, just letting you know, I'm going to be two to three minutes late. And like, exactly. <laughs> like that's how, that's how, yeah. And that's how bent out of shape we can get because we, we combine a few of these um, weird beliefs. Yeah, and, and so that's so normal. Yeah, that that's just uh, so many people would resonate with that or something similar. But to me, that's unnecessary suffering. It's so it's, unnecessary. It's, we, we don't require that because, and that's what I mean, when I, I can see how my clients are tracking and progressing. At the start, they'll say, this is how I was. And two, three, four weeks later, they'll, I'll get a text message. Hi, Nick. Um, stuck in traffic. Get there when I can. Yeah, and uh, they'll turn up and they won't be in a heightened state. They won't be all panicky. They won't be all, oh, God. They'll, they'll actually turn up and go, I'm glad I, I don't care if you like me or not. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I, said, I said, there's a balance. There's a balance. It's, you can't go from one end of the spectrum to the other. You can't be over-caring and then absolutely no fucks at all. It's just, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's a balancing act, but it's, well, it's, it's, it's a beautiful it's the, thing. it's the middle way, which if we it come is. back to Buddhism again, it's yeah. the middle way. It's not, it's not uh, pinging and ponging between two extremes, and that can be with yeah. any any behaviour or mindset. And so they're, they're in the middle way, there is going to be an ebb and a flow. But it's if, if the middle is zero and to the left is negative ten and to the right is positive ten, you're not going to those extremes. You're not going to that end of the spectrum. You're just going between a two and a three and a negative two and a three. It's just that gentle ebb and flow. I think Einstein said. Um, balance isn't being perfectly still. It's like riding a bicycle. Mm. You know, you got to keep you're, you're constantly uh, readjusting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, to keep the thing straight. Yeah. yeah. No, no, I like that. That's good because you have because it's a choice. Like now, like for me, it's it's also one not caring if I'm late, but then also if I get there and I have to wait ten minutes for someone to rock up then you can just sit there and just like look around the cafe and then just take in what's happening. You know, look at that, but you might meet, you start chatting to someone else, you know, and it's just a very different experience of that real agitated, anxious state that, that a lot of people find themselves you, you in. You can only, you can only create that behavior. You can, when you're not giving the key to your happiness to other people and you give the key to your happiness to other people, when you have an attachment to a belief that people should be there in time, yeah, so that's the swear our, word should be yeah our, our irrational mind is what's creating our suffering not the person turning up late you know in you know, buddhism they talk about the source of all suffering is attachment to that belief but it's also ignorance i've got no idea what what's happening to this other person you know they could be you know in an al-qaeda video in on hezbollah or something they, could kidnapped. <laughs> they i don't i don't know i am ignorant to, to such a huge degree, uh, I cannot possibly know. So therefore, I'm not going to impose my beliefs and my judgments and my biases and I'm not going to criticise and condemn and blame and, oh, you fucked my whole day. Yeah. No, I'm going to sit there and 
have a conversation with someone. And we, and we choose that because we don't want to unnecessarily suffer, but we unconsciously choose unnecessary suffering so much of the time. But when we let go of our attachment and we sit in our ignorance uh, 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 with an acceptance that we don't know, uh, it liberates our mind. So all of a sudden we have that freedom just to sit there and to adapt and to be flexible, the bamboo, instead of being rigid, problem-oriented, fixed mindset, concrete, have to, should, must, need, attached, craving. Ugh, I nearly felt sick just saying all that. <laughs> it's, it's sitting there and present, calm, composed, compassion, love, gratitude, empathy, um, you know, flexibility, adapting, going with the flow. It's, it's solution-oriented. Okay, well, this problem has arisen in my day. I'm a human being. You know, when I was becoming a fetus, I signed up to this, to be human, is to you know, experience suffering. It's the first of the noble truths. So oh, here it is. It's arisen today. Oh, okay, well, what am I going to do with this? Nothing. I don't need to do anything with it. It just is. I was just imagining this a little fetus, like, you know, that all curled up little, little jelly beans trying to write a con contract. <laughs> well, I, I, doesn't, I even, doesn't even know its name yet. It's like fetus. <laughs> is that a capital F, Mr. Fetus? <laughs> is, that, is, that, is that an F or a PH? Are you, are you like Madonna? What's your second name? It's just fetus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, being, I'm being cool. It's 2020, so I'm going with the P-H-E-T-U-S. P-H fetus. <laughs> but it's, I, I love thinking about this stuff. But yeah, the, in, in my course, though, they were talking about how we don't spend enough time doing deep thinking because uh, we're so go, 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 speedboat across the surface. Um but I, I do love thinking about a fetus, or no, spirit, sorry, in, in the waiting room. So whether you believe it or not, just, just, just run with it. We've got incarnations, different lives, reincarnation. Yeah, so um, this organic um, thing that, that my energy has attained is going to die. It's dying at the moment. Yeah, so when this organic body dies my energy will go somewhere else. Yeah, so I don't actually die. It was, I, was, I was watching a, a Ram Das um, lecture the other day and, yeah, come to my house to party, people. It's awesome. Um, and he was talking about someone else and he was dying of cancer and they're like, no, all these devotees were saying this guru, no, but you can heal yourself. You can heal yourself. He's like, don't leave us. And he's like, leave? Where would I go? Uh, it's like he said it was like stepping out of a Cadillac and everyone going, no, don't leave the Cadillac. It's like, but it's just a, it's just a thing. I'm, I'm still going to be here. Just in part a different part, part of the process. Yeah, it's like, it's the funny, it's the funny thing. It's like when someone it dies and, you, and you'll see someone who's dead, they'll say it. Like if you imagine the, if you haven't seen it in real life, like on, on TV shows and that, and the person's in hospital and then the doctor will just look at the family and go, He's gone. And it's like that, that physical body looks exactly the same as it did. <laughs> but he's gone. Everyone gets that. And it's like, yeah. well, well, what's he and where did he go? And it's like, it's like so, we, so we all kind of intuitively know that we're not the physical body, you know, because, because I, I remember even Disco, my puppy, when he died in my arms and it's like, he's gone. You know, it's like he's physically this, this same beast here, 
but he he is gone but then all of a sudden if you start to say to people well his spirit or soul or whatever left they're like oh that's a bit that's a bit woo woo kind of thing but we all understand that there's the he that's gone or the she that's gone is is not the body well i'm sitting here looking at polly at the end of my couch hello Hello, polly and looking at her and and she's eights now and she's arthritis and all that sort of stuff so her this this body that she's inhibited inhibited in yeah um, inhabited habited yeah just all one letter there one um this body that she's inhabited is gonna go away soon and and i'm i'm obviously gonna grief to some degree but i'm not going to get stuck in that grief and create unnecessary suffering by by letting the ego come into into play and go i miss her look what i'm missing i can't believe she's gone i can't believe she's dead it's it's all about me it's not actually about her Hmm. so when when she when she does leave and i love this is why the stoics really meditated on death you know memento mori and you two will die because yeah, I'm not going to be able to touch her, but she's still going to be around me somewhere. Like Disco with you, he's he's still there. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. It's like at, at the end of the day, we're kind of it, we become. You were talking about sort of our concept of time, and I can't believe it's so and so already. And we kind of just become this collection of memories, kind of thing. You know, because it's only we're we're only existing right now in this moment, but we have these obviously maybe ideas of the future, but also just these ideas of the past, and and you know even those ideas of the past are so you know distorted. What what there's a book, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. It's pretty pretty dense, but it's a really good book. But one of the the big things I took out of that, which I explained to people, then this is once again with people who have. Um, uh, get addicted to positive experiences because we have sort of these two cells. We have our, I don't know if I've spoken about this on the show before, but there's our experiencing self and our remembering self, right? So there's, there's the us who, as we're doing something is having an experience. And then there's also the remembering us. So I'll look back on that experience. And those two often have very, very different views. They're stored quite differently in our brain. So what happens we store peak peak or low experiences much more than equanimous experiences. So that the good example of this is let's say that I've got, got a couple of kids and I would go to Disneyland, right? And I go to Disneyland and my experiencing self of that day, it's not a great day. Like things, things are really like overly priced. We're waiting in lines the majority of the day. Um, the kids are fucking <laughs> getting impatient, <laughs> annoying. And like I, I get to the car at the end of the day and I'm like, thank fuck we got to the car at the end of the day. Like, I'm so glad that's over. That's my experiencing self. Now then a few months down the track or whenever people ask me how Disneyland was, what happens, we'll only remember peak experience. So I'll remember when we're, I'm on the roller coaster with my son or we saw that really, really cool player. We met Goofy or whatever. So I'll go, that was such a great day, right? <laughs> but my experiencing self was like struggling in that day, but my remembering self actually went, wow, what a fantastic day. Is that... Mm, I So I think it was Rumi. Who was the... Who was the dude that did the doco and he was shagging all the all the Osho. birds? Osho was it Osho that said we don't suffer um, the past. The past doesn't exist. What we're suffering is our memory yeah. of things, and we're not suffering anxiety because the future doesn't exist. We're just 
um, we're suffering our imagination of what could potentially happen yes. to, to that effect. So when we go back to Disneyland, if we have an attachment to a belief that the kids should have done that and I've paid all this money and it should have been a good day, are we, are we not going to then go into ruminating over the negatives? Yeah. Yeah. So those peaks, they're not only positive, but they're, they're what they could be perceived to be negative as well. Yeah, they are. I think both of those peaks and the troughs get encoded into memories more, but it seems like these peak ones seem to override it because I see it a lot with... Um, well, why, why, is, why is depression so prevalent then? You know, if, oh, because well, depression is is I have a a fantasy in my mind of what my life should look like yeah. based on based on I think peak experiences in the past where I want to stay in that state. So then I can't live up to that fantasy. So I'm depressed. Well, but it, we the people ruminate over a day like um, you know, Disneyland and they'll, they'll replay it in their head, and many people because they're disqual. You know, one of those cognitive distortions, they'll disqualify the positives. So they'll only focus on the negatives. And so when their mind is taken to back, that when they see a Mickey Mouse doll or something, something triggers that memory, their recall will go back to all the negatives of it and they'll go, oh, that was fucking the worst day ever. Yeah. So I suppose with Disneyland, I suppose that, you know, if there's more of a a hum of, of negativity, but the peaks are really high, will remember that as a positive experience. But it- well, I think, I think it's the version that goes to Disneyland, so the experiencer, if they're going there with attachments to a desired outcome and so the reality of what they experience is different to the reality of what they expect to happen, then it's going to become a, a negative stored memory. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's why- where they'll ruminate on it. Of course, but then most most people are uh, are unconscious, so they just all, all we have to pull on all our memories. <laughs> Not so, our listeners; they're woke blokes. No, we women. got we got the woke folks. Um, <laughs> woke folks. Woke just, folks. Um, yeah, so it's not, interesting. Not binary. It was interesting, and I was even I, I was uh, reading a book recently. I've been doing a bit of a deep dive into Peter Levine, um, who's the creator of Somatic Experiencing. Um, How's Peter feel about that? Peter, Peter. Feels great about you're diving deep into him. <laughs> he's he's hurting. That's for sure. <laughs> he's having, he's having to take those short but deep breaths, you know. Straight from the Ryan. He's, the he's having his his most somatic experience of his whole life. <laughs> oh dear. Um, and one of he one of his books is Trauma and Memory, and he was actually citing the the you know some of the latest research on memory and it's like we don't so much have a like a file in a filing cabinet that we draw on as a memory each time Mm. but we as we something triggers a memory or we start to recall something our mind creates the memory kind of all afresh again and new Mm. yeah so so these memories are kind of being recreated over and over and this is this is great news for people like us who help people reframe memories um but it's not so much we're pulling on an old uh, file out of the drawer yeah where we're recreating that memory again in the now Um, but we're not recreating a carbon copy of it because it's been passed through all our biases and all our yes. filters. So that's why in, in, in um, trials in courts now, witness testimonials are getting thrown out because they're not actually recollecting what 
the the reality of what did happen the they're recalling their reality of what happened yeah and especially in a, in a highly intense emotionally situation then memory is less and less reliable that's yeah. why whenever people the police rock up to a crime scene they separate the witnesses straight away because if one witness talks to the other they'll be like this happened no that happened then that one will change their mind as to what yeah. happened because that one said so so it's it's very easy to influence people when they're in that heightened state that's why I ask clients to bring their partners into sessions because I don't want just my client's version of events. Like turning up to a crime scene, I, I want to interview as many people as I can to get the actual picture. Like yeah. he's going to recall this. It was a red T-shirt. It was an orange T-shirt. It was a blue T-shirt. It was a red T-shirt. It was a red T-shirt. All right. I, uh, evidence suggests it was probably a red T-shirt. So I, I want to I want to – reduce my ignorance so I'm in a better position to then help that person. So having the client's partners come in, it, it's amazing. It's a, Well, because it creates a bit of accountability for the, for the client first and foremost. It gets them out of their comfort zone, but it also the partners get to see, put a name to the face or a face of the name and get to see sort of what, what we're up to and they get to ask questions and they get to, you know, so it's a, it's a more well-rounded um, approach, I think. Yeah, that's 100%. I agree. That's what we did at the centre, had family support sessions, just to work on the issues that the, the family or partner had around it as well, because that's going to help the overall situation. But, yeah, just to gather more and more information, because, yeah, I used to have, you know, you'd have a client and they'd talk about their, their partner or whatever, and, and then they'd be coming in in a couple of weeks just for that support session. And, and based on the information I'd gotten, I expected some three-headed monster to walk through the door <laughs> who was going to spit fire at me and, and just burn the whole place down. And this lovely person walks through yeah. the door and, yeah. and they have a very, very different uh, opinion mm. of certain events that happen in the relationship. And then it's known neither of them are right. Objectivity mm. will sit somewhere around here, but at least you can understand where the different perspectives are. And that's why, that's why there's so much conflict. I mean, it's not so much two people in conflict. It's just two sets of beliefs and ideas yeah, about two the value past. systems are different. Exactly, and, and, and you're, not, I'm not, you're not saying the clients not telling the truth. They're telling their truth. They're telling their version of events. So they're not lying. They're just giving us the information that they've stored based because on... no one can know the truth no. and comes back to this theme that we keep, keep it's coming up quite a lot in our podcast now of just not knowing <clears throat> and being comfortable sitting in that space of not knowing because like i have my subjective truth which is what i believe to be true for me with whatever happened like even i can get off this podcast today and i've got an idea of what this podcast was about but then you'll have an idea they're different and both of them are different to objectively what happened and every and every single person that listens to this podcast will have their subjective experience of it and they're all different right totally. and, and we'll never get to that we will we'll never know that objective truth well a great um experiment to do is read a book so the four agreements from Don Miguel, and then read the book next year, and it's going to read completely differently because you're a different person. Mm -hmm. So it's not you that's reading it. You know, every morning a version of is born, and you and I are not going to wake up tomorrow. We're going to go to sleep, and a new version of us will wake up after all the processing is done and after all the breaking down and rebuilding and cells are regenerating, all this sort of stuff. So yeah, it's a, the man cannot stand in the same river twice sort of philosophy. Exactly, yeah, exactly that. Yeah, yeah. Just back to the, sorry, the dog thing. I just had this 
uh, memory came up and grief uh, with disco. Yeah, I, I had this really interesting uh, experience while we were over here. I had a dream, such a vivid dream. So, so this was a few months ago. So it would have been, Disco died like late last year. So I have this dream probably nine to 10 months after he passed away. And I went through this, you know, and this is how so much grief can be unconscious as well. And I, I grieved at the time and I did the best I could with my tools and, you know, worked through and I was a mess for a few days and then went into gratitude. And then anyway, I, um, I, I'd only sort of felt fondly about him since then and, and the memories we shared and knowing, like we said, that he's still around. Then all of a sudden, yeah, nine to 10 months after I was in the, the house we're in now in Thailand and um, I had this it's extremely vivid dream. And I was at this giant shopping center with Disco and we're just moving around the shopping center, like going from shop to shop, up and down the levels. It was like multi-level and it was kind of like a a storybook of his life. Like he was this energetic puppy. And then as he went to the next level, he was a bit older and blah, blah, blah. And we were going through and I, I sort of obviously had no idea what was happening because I was in this dream. And then all of a sudden we kind of got to the top of this uh, shopping center and there was like a big, a hallway with a dead end. And he'd ran forward to this dead end and just sat staring at the white wall. And I was just calling. I'm just like, disco, disco, disco. And this wouldn't turn around. And then next to me, it was like, I don't know if it was Jordan Peterson or Gabor Mate or it was like, but it would have been like the, the avatar of some person, knowledgeable person or whatever. Yeah. And they just looked at me and said, go to him, you know what's happening. And then in that moment, like I knew he was dying and I, I ran down to the end of the hallway and he, and he like went limp in my arms um, like he had nine to 10 months earlier. And I just was started wailing like in this stream mm. crying. And then I, I woke myself up because I was actually wailing and yelling at his name in bed. Um, yeah. Luckily, Melissa was upstairs with Tommy <laughs> putting him to sleep. And um, I ended up staying awake for about, it, it's hard to tell because I didn't check my phone or anything, but well over an hour, possibly a couple of hours, just crying, just, just, just crying um, about his death. And uh, it was an interesting experience that I'd been through this initial grieving process in this very unconscious through a dream. Next process had come up and um, obviously needed to be released as well. How beautiful. It was beautiful. Yeah, yeah. It was so painful at the time. But then, and then ever since then, it's like I've just gone to this whole new sort of, you know, gratitude whenever I think of him. Two things. I keep trying to reinforce with clients that there's no good or bad or right or wrong. We've got to get off this binary thinking. There's just pros and cons to thinking. There's just a, everything is just different. And it's very difficult to – if you can't accept that there's pros and cons, if you're only addicted to the pros or the positive experiences, then you're fucked. So if – it's hard to see that a con is going to turn into a pro. Yeah, but with bushfires, it's terrible what's happening. But the the pro is that there's rejuvenation and regeneration and everything. So the con is obviously disco dying, but the pro is that you had that experience and you've deepened your gratitude or something. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a great example, a beautiful example of how we need to live within an acceptance of the reality of all not just the reality of what we want to happen because it feels good. Exactly. Um, and I had another thought with that. Uh, I'll come back to it. Um, I was back to the ignorance thing. So I was watching a, uh, that 
that uh, oh no, um, watching a discourse this morning, and they were talking about oncologists, um, uh, you know, working in, in hospitals, and they're sending them on meditation retreats now, and so many of them are having these deep healing experiences. Uh, they come into this deep state of grief um, because they're too busy to deal with all the the deaths of of the patients they're working with it's just mm-hmm. this one died right next one yeah, and then they go home drink a bottle of wine you know get up to work do another 14 hour day blah 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 and so they're not actually taking time to process things mm-hmm. so going on these retreats like like you they're just meditating meditating stopping stopping slowing down then bang it's like you know, you're drilling down you hit the well and she all just erupts and bursts yeah. and you're coming out of it for such having such a cathartic experience yeah well i suppose yeah that's really really interesting i'm glad they're doing that but that's because i think once again that being we, we, a system that we have and an oncology department of a hospital and the people yeah dying all the time is probably um unnatural for you know our evolution you know i suppose if we were in a tribe then people would die and the people would die but not you wouldn't see people dying every single day you know yeah. it's, it's it's like in the in the army which you've been in, like going going and and killing other people that you don't know because you're ordered to is very unnatural of, for our for our for our human wiring and so it's like we'll we'll train you to do this and then go and do that and then come back to you know normal in air quotes here on doing life and that's why so many vets uh, run into issues because like you've done something very, very unnatural to the, the human organism. Um, and then you're like, so we'll just go back and, 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 and deal with it. And it's very, very hard to deal with because it is so unnatural. Yeah. And, and you think of it, a, 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 a theater of war or a theater of a hospital, um, you're exposed to more death. You're exposed to, to more trauma things that you, you know, you get conditioned to it a little bit, but you never really get conditioned to it. But that's kind of a trauma response to like yeah. de- to, to desensitize yourself. Well, that's why there's black the humor in it. That's why fire is and ambos yep. and, and our military. They use this dark black humor as a my, my, my ex-wife, uh, her uh, old man was with the MFB for many years. Great man. But so I, and I was a tradie back then, so did a lot of work uh, with his mates doing air conditioning and heating stuff. So I met, I was around fireys a lot. And yeah, that just, just very dark humor. And, you know, I would talk about, he said, yeah, there's, you know, yes, we have, you know, we can speak to a psychologist if we want to, but it was st- it's still very boys club and that isn't taken up yeah, a lot, but, but yeah. uh, that's the way we deal with things is, you know, so that have names like that, you know, the, uh, the, the crispy one we found yesterday yeah, or some yeah, of that. Yeah. And so it's just the, and they're trying to create that detachment from it. Aren't exactly. They? Yeah. Yeah. Which I think, you know, I, I often think, what is the evolutionary purpose of, of things? So I'm like, what well, I always think, why do we laugh? Like, why do we have humor? But I think it is evolutionary to get us through very, very difficult situations that in other ways we wouldn't be able to get through. Because mm. it, ma- it makes no sense for our survival. Otherwise, why we laugh? Well, it's a, well I mean, um, it's a basic human need, that sense of, that sense of fun. It has a crazy chemical Connection, reaction. you think? Yeah, it's like laughing like, with another person creates a connection. Well, it's, it's lightness. It's a, a it's you know, I, I always look at things in terms of yin and yang. So you can't have the dog without dog shit, sort of philosophy. 
you can't have you can't appreciate the light with you can't have light without dark you can't appreciate you know the lovely days um, spent with family without the lonely days spent in isolation sort of thing so it creates a sense of balance and gratitude so i think laughing is probably the counterbalance for sadness unhappiness and and this comes back to what we're talking about around the trying to always chase those peak experiences and it's like, let, let's say, you know, like I was a drug addict and it's like one of the first times that you, you know, I took ecstasy, one of the first times I used uh, methamphetamine and you're all, and it's like, wow, that was the, the most amazing feeling in the world. I just want to stay there forever. But then if you actually did stay there forever, which is impossible, but let's just say that you could, then yeah. all of a sudden, like it, there'd be no reference point. So that actually wouldn't feel good anymore because now yeah. you You'd have you'd have nothing to no nothing to compare it to. You'd have no low oh, to compare the high to. I was just writing about that in um, in my studies. It was Dukkha is is suffering in in Sanskrit, and that's another reason why so many people have an aversion to meditation because there's Sanskrit and Pali and English and all these different languages and words that you got to get your head around. Anyway, uh, I do digress. So Dukkha is suffering, but Sukha is is the opposite it's a state of really happiness and they were saying you know it's, it's great to achieve this constant state of sukkah and i was like but is it and isn't it an oxymoron because if you're craving sukkah aren't you in dukkha yeah so it's uh, and I, yeah, but it's I, a i even love how close those words are it's just that <laughs> So it's a, it's, a, it's sort of like that you know, conversation we had when I realised that living is dying and dying is living. They're not mutually exclusive. They're one and the same thing. So I think dukkha and sukkha are the same. They're one and the same thing. Yeah. I thought you were going to um, say, having a sukkah. <laughs> so, yeah, watching this, this Ram Das lecture the other day, and I mean, the dude's on a trip. He's, he's a, I love watching his stuff. And he's talking about how he's... He's left India and he's, he's gone to America and uh, he feels he needs to go back and see his guru, uh, Maharaji. And Maharaji comes to him in a vision and says, no, you're going to get your teachings in America. So he's like, oh, okay, fine. How's this going to happen? And then blah, blah, blah. Turns out he, he goes and he gets taken to this woman in, in um, New York. What are the, the ghettos in New York? The The Bronx. Yeah, the Bronx or somewhere around there. Mm. Uh, and he said it's just this like middle-aged Jewish woman, you know, uh, and all of a sudden she's got this spiritual stuff. She's only looking out of her third eye. She, she's sitting in com- like a rock, you know, and she, they can't keep her down. She keeps getting high. And he's talking about all these stories like she's cooking and, and he's on the phone to her and he's like, what are you cooking? She's like, oh, hang on. She keeps having to look out of her third eye because she's not actually using her physical eyes. And so I'm cooking meat. Oh, what's that funny sound oh i forgot to use a pan like this is how high she is she's trying to function down here on this plane but she's on this completely different plane most of the time trying to run a family <laughs> and then all of a sudden he'll be on the phone what the and fuck was she, she cooking on just the phone and, and, yeah, and she'll be she'll be speaking from Socrates or something. She'll be, yeah. she'll be she'll be teaching she'll be teaching Ram Dass something so deep and important. Then he'll hear this, Mom, where's my underwear? <laughs> <laughs> and she'll have to come down again and go. Sorry, you what? You what? Uh, where's my underwear? Oh, it's, it's in the 
top drawer somewhere <laughs> and offshore float back up in this other plane. Yeah. And I was sitting on the couch at work and a client walked in for his session and I pissed myself laughing. He's like, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm watching this ramped ass and explained who he was. And we get in and had the session. And I'm like, I, I love watching stuff sitting in ignorance and, and in an acceptance of my ignorance. Like, uh, 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 just with an open mind, with a playfulness. And I think, I can't remember who said it, but and I'm not saying I am this, but the sign of emotional intelligence is the capacity to play around with an idea without taking it on mm. or, or without rejecting it. You know, we can, we can just play around with this concept, this idea. Um, and so that's what I found myself doing with this Ram Dass story. And I'm like, who am I to say this is bullshit? Who am I to say that this didn't actually occur? Who am I? I mean, from a therapeutic perspective, you sit there going, he's touching on a mental illness here. Is this schizophrenia popping up here? Or is this, you know, is this bipolar? Or is this borderline personality disorder? I'm trying to find a label for it on some level. Yeah. But then I, I, I got rid of that. And I just sat in and I listened and I was like, who are we to say that this didn't happen? Because we are so deeply ignorant. We cannot see. We have no idea if there's other planes and other dimensions and all that shit. Yeah. It was, it was, it was beautiful just to sit there and to watch this and listen to this story just in with a real playfulness. And oh, that was awesome. There were, I didn't decide whether it happened or didn't happen. No, but it's, just, it's fun to listen to. And like you said, it's fun to visualize and play with that idea. Um, but no, I've, I've met people who are definitely on uh, different planes. Um, it's well, Western psychology would call that psychosis. Yeah, whereas other people would call it, you know, the shaman, enlightened. What do they say? The, 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 the mystic and the psychotic are in the same waters, but the mystic just learned how to swim. <laughs> um, so very, very similar. But what I, uh, lady I'm working with at the minute, she talks about, a, uh, we spoke about Polly inhabiting her body but she speaks about cohabiting so it's like we want to cohabit it's like we do we want to get in touch with this deeper part of ourselves whether you call that spirit soul or you know whatever it is and and maybe at you know touch these higher planes and everything but we also need to cohabit in the reality of living as a human being because that's all we're here to be human beings that's that that's that fetus sign that contract the contract was i'm going to be a human i'm going to suffer i'm on on a human plane i'm going to probably i'm going to have a job and i'm probably going to have family or whatever it is so it's like i'm going to have have goggles on i'm not going to have blinkers on i'm not going to be able to see so much but i'm going to know on some level that it all it's all there and it all exists but i'm i'm not going to be able to see it yeah, so if I can cohabit both of those, and that's that's a process I'm trying to learn at the minute, then we can cannot get stuck either way. We cannot get attached to everything happening in this human yeah. form that has to be a certain way, but then we can also not get attached. And this is, um, you know, that spiritual bypassing or whatever you want to call it, just just getting attached to escaping into my third eye yeah, on other yeah, planes yeah. all the time and i'm not using a pan to cook my meat in <laughs> <laughs> uh, buddhism they call that going into the that deep place is the collective consciousness it's the consciousness of everything and it's the interconnectedness it's where we're all in the same bath together you know and and we're not different we're all one in that bath so oh yeah 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 i've been thinking quite a bit about collective unconscious and collective trauma and that lately you know, because it's like we do, like for me, I started thinking about it being Australian and I would, I was doing sort of some deep inquiry into myself and I was thinking I, there's definitely this collective unconscious trauma for me. Like, like I've, 
I've never ever in my life been mean to an Aboriginal person like mm. ever in my life mm. yet yet i find there's there's this part of me and i have to really go within to find it but i can see whenever i'm around someone aboriginal that i have a little bit of guilt around them like there's yeah. something that i've done wrong to them right and yeah I, I, I get the same thing like uh australia day i, I feel very empathetic towards that co- uh, so is that a collective consciousness thing, or is that just an empath thing perhaps is that a just a, or is it both who knows you're right. Exactly. It could be one, either, both. It's it's, it's nothing. It's, it's interesting, you know, because you know, it's great people, to play around with it. Yeah, because I've known, you know, people, even from Germany and Russia. I found there seems to be just some real. Because if you talk about traumatized humans, like traumatized countries, the last hundred years, Germany and Russia are very traumatized countries. And you know, <laughs> you think, you, 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 yeah, yeah. Chuck, chuck, chuck the Jews in there as well, will you? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I think there is a lot of a, a lot of collective and African Americans. Yes, a hundred percent. And South Africans. Yeah. Uh, that collective conscious. I've never done one, but I've heard of these global meditations. And I think, if I'm correct, and I'd love a listener to, to help me to be less ignorant by sending us an email or something, but I think the purpose of those collective worldwide let's all meditate at the same time is to heal that collective consciousness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But when, they, when they have done that in certain cities uh, with enough people, the, the crime uh, will drop. Um, quite yeah, a significant right. amount. Yeah. So they did it. Uh, the, the few studies I've read, I can't remember where it was, but they did um, in different towns. So now obviously I, I know there's people like, I think Dr. Joe Dispenza and other people were trying to online. So like you're like a global community mm-hmm. together, but, but in the past it's been in person, mm-hmm. thousands and thousands of people all sitting in a certain city and, and they've crime will drop for that time. Cause they're all getting down with a, with an intention for peace. Well, that's the intention. So if everyone sits down with a common intention, it will it can affect like the energy of that surrounding area. But the problem is, as soon as they stop, that crime went back to normal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so well, it's so like right. pe- pe- people need to would need to maintain that energy, uh, which is kind of how we started this conversation around meditation, not just being while you're meditating, but being in your life. But you need enough people with that intention constantly, I suppose, to reduce violence and crime. I, I read fantasy books because I've got a very vivid imagination. And as we know, in the past, my imagination made me housebound. So now uh, I'm using my imagination for good instead of evil. Ah, so uh, was it the imagination in of itself wasn't bad or evil? No, no, ah, it was just right. the, the way it was getting up to things. And so I read a lot of fantasy books and, you know, um, other worlds and magic, not not the sci-fi, but but the more the more the fantasy ones, the Ursh, Lily Gwynn, Robin Hobb, um, David Gemmell, Raymond Feist, all these, and they're the storytellers, and they're amazing. And I find I'm, I'm reading a book, and all of a sudden I'll disappear, and I can't remember turning the pages. I can't remember reading the lines. It's playing as a movie in my head. And that thing you said of they need to do it the whole time. There was a story of a city that was shrouded in a cloak of invisibility um, to protect itself, but it took uh, a lot of magicians within that city to constantly keep that bubble up. And and unfortunately, these people used to kill people and use blood to keep it going. But um, yeah, it's it's imagine if we had. Imagine if it was a job. You're you're a you're a you're a meditator, 
and your job is to create, is to keep the collective consciousness in a state of equanimity. That'd be awesome. Yeah, that would be. Well, that's like you know people like the, industry. the the Dalai Lama and people like that. You know, I mean that that's someone who would, would I imagine radiate that that peaceful energy for you know. Yeah, but it's not sustained, you know. That's why we we need a a dedicated group of people continually doing it in shifts, you know. It's just that um, after work, where are you going? I'm just going to meditate. I've got a a two-hour shift coming up. I've got some peace to create. Yeah, me me and Dave in Oregon, we're we're on. Um, It's our our shift. It's our time. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, you know, once again, the study we're talking about, and we're talking about how does mindfulness heal? And it comes down to that meditation increases empathy and compassion. Um, so, you know, there's all the studies and research on, on complaining that can show that it actually damages the brain. So, so complaining, we give ourselves brain damage when we complain. Every time we complain, it's like we're, we're damaging our own brain. So the meditating is a way of healing the brain. The mind, which is separate to the brain, the mind starts healing the brain through just the observing and the you know as i said before that liberated mind um can create a, a healing in the brain and, and grow the brain or the dire what are they called the between the neurons the dire huh it's so important for people to know that they can no matter how old you are listening to this that you can actually change the shape of your brain it's not this set organ and one of the totally. most fam- famous studies was out of harvard which is where they had people do just 26 minutes a day of mindfulness exercises because they did fMRI, which is um, magnetic resonance image, functional magnetic resonance images, which is a, a shows the, the brain, the best yeah. technology we have. And they took, you know, people who'd been meditating like yogis and that kind of thing. And they had very different brain structures from your average Joe. But then they, they kind of were like, well, we need to create a study because there could be many other factors that Yogi was doing. Could have been better diet. They could have been mm-hmm. exercising or whatever. So they took people who had done little to no experience with mindfulness, uh, took their brain scans at the start, and then after eight weeks of doing 26 minutes a day, scanned their brains again. And the two significant changes were an, an increase in grey matter, increase inside of the hippocampus, which is in charge of critical thinking and memory mm-hmm. and all the, all the good stuff. More importantly, the amygdala, which is whole, the old part of the brain, which is in, oh. like a, in charge of our fight or flight anxiety. The alarm, system, the alarm bell. The alarm bell. That shrunk in size. So it's like wow. who, you, were talk, you were talking about causing yourself brain damage from complaining. On the other mm-hmm. end, who wouldn't want to take that that walnut-shaped part of the brain that's in charge of stress and shrink that motherfucker a little bit. <laughs> yeah, blast that shit down. Uh, it was the dendrites between two nerves, uh, yes. between two neurons increasing. So, yeah, we, we that's how our mind grows. That's that neuroplasticity. So when that's what I'm trying to do, you know, doing the mental reps, come out of that destructive thinking, let go of your attachments and go into constructive thinking as you're literally rewiring your brain. Different. It's, it's, sending, it's creating a different electrical pulse um oh it's good stuff isn't it it's beautiful stuff beautiful stuff what, what, what do we got on next week we've got a guest we do have a guest we have glenn pool the um uh, president i think of the australian men's health forum so oh, yeah well I just, I just came across them and thought 
I'm ignorance again. I want to become more learned. And so let's get the dude on and have a chat and see what they're doing at the Australian Men's Health Forum and see what, see what they're all about. Nice. Sounds good. Sounds good. Something I was going to ask as well. Maybe we can talk about it next week. But I um, was going to ask you, I found, because um, Melbourne, you guys just down there have, have just come out of or had lockdown eased um, mm. the last couple of days. And I don't know for you, but I've had a lot of people reaching out just to um, book in some sessions from Melbourne. Uh, funnily enough, now that like everyone's been waiting for lockdown to end, and now it kind of is, and I think there's a little bit of uh, anxiety and stress and everything uh, about going back to some sort of normal life or getting back out there in, in social situations or that kind of thing. Have you found that? Mm. No, I'm, I'm still probably dealing with people that were stuck in their suffering from being in lockdown. Mm-hmm. So we're still unpacking and, and changing changing all those yeah, I think so. it's, it's an interesting uh, one because I think while in lockdown that the, the narrative has been kind of fear, 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 you know, don't go out because it's, it, you'll yeah. fuck things up. And now uh, there might be some associations uh, around these normal activities of going out for, to cafes or restaurants or social things, but there might be a bit of fear attached there as well. It's interesting. Uh, there's going to be awkwardness. We went down Main Street the day the restrictions eased or the next day when, when we could. And it was like... It was like walking to a zombie movie. Everyone was like staring at the sun going, what is that thing? (laughs) They were looking at each other just going, oh, what? There's more of us? Who are you? What are you doing? And it was fucking chockers. The main street was rams. There was just, and so these people was walking around blinded by the sun bumping into each other. Oh, 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 zombie. Need, need, need shopping. Need a new T-shirt. Need to spend money. Need this. Need to, you know, I've, I've got to distract myself. How funny. Yeah, it was classic. <laughs> Very funny. Strange times. All right, man. Well, um, I'm going to go and have some lunch before I have Beautiful, my next mate. study session. Congrats on the move, everyone. Nick's moved into a new house this week, which is Thanks, very, bud. very exciting. If you're on YouTube, you can see that. And look what arrived in the mail for me. Uh, <gasps> yeah. Oh, my goodness. The Eight Master Lessons of Nature oh, by when Gary did you begin Ferguson. It? I'm, just, uh, I'm currently on a book, which I'm going to digest, but I reckon uh, in a week or two, I'll get cracking on it. Hey, love, I can't wait. Let's unpack that. Let's spend a whole podcast on that book. Okay. Um, I was chatting with a client yesterday. I say that sentence so much. I was chatting with a client. Of course I was. <laughs> um, and, but we were talking about how long sh- – they, they were listening to the podcast and they said they had to keep rewinding it because we'd say something that would trigger a train of thought for them and then they'd – oh, shit, I didn't hear what they've been talking about, so I'd have to rewind it. And I said, I think that's such a compliment because I think a, a good, stimulating, engaging podcast or book or whatever, a 60-minute podcast should take you a couple of hours to listen to because mm. you need to digest it. Yeah, well, that that, that um, quote I brought up from Carl Jung earlier, I heard that on I was at the gym and um, listened to a podcast while I was working out. And yeah, the, 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 it was a Paul Check podcast and he um, uh, yeah, brought that up. And yeah, it was one, I heard it. Was, I'm like, oh, fuck. I'm like, rewind 15 seconds, yeah. listen to it again. <laughs> and then I paused the podcast and didn't listen yeah. to anything for the rest of my workout. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to- Chewing on that for a bit. Chewing on that idea. And I think that's, that's so important, you know, like 
it's you don't want to just skim over things and there's been yeah, certain... that's why you're not the speedboat just skimming along the surface you're actually diving in deeply into it exactly yeah and funny enough the book that i'm reading now um before i jump into the eight master lessons of nature is is about uh meta learning so kind of the art of learning itself so being able to not just skim over information and just be able to actually think about things properly and and methodically and and yeah like we've said not just skim over the top and jump onto the next thing because yeah I've, I've had some podcasts uh that i've listened to um and yeah i've listened to the same podcast maybe five times <laughs> because i'm like there's yeah. so much in there to to, to, to to digest so um yeah that's the ultimate compliment i love that yeah i started reading um buddhism plain and simple i think it was or buddhism for beginners just to find something to refer to clients and i, I keep I can only get through two or three pages and it takes me an hour to get through a couple of pages because I'm underlining and I'm like, I'm writing it down. I'm like, what? really? How, does that, how do I apply that? And how do I, because you, know, you want to absorb it uh, and assimilate all of that knowledge so you can turn it into wisdom. You can live and breathe what it is. It's, it's osmosis. We, we we had the discussion yeah earlier. You said like you read the four agreements, then you read it again later because you're a different person. I um years ago when I was first sort of getting into everything, and I'd read uh the Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, a very famous book. And I'm like, oh, what a great book, and blah blah. Then a year or so later, I'm like, oh, I'll revisit that book. And I remember I was laying in bed one night. I, I'd I'd go to bed about nine nine thirty, read for half an hour or so, and I just I read just this one passage of the book. And I, I, I couldn't get past it. And it was, I, it was something to do with around, you know, the, the, the voice in your mind and everything. And then I kept having a, an idea about what I just read, but that was the voice that he was talking about. And, and, and I got caught in, stuck this, in the loop. I got caught in this loop. And then all of a sudden, after I, I had, it's like this break and I just pissed myself laughing. And I, and I, and I couldn't stop laughing. And then I couldn't sleep. I, 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 it was like it was this it was this epiphany, and I could not sleep. And I remember I got I got up and and disco was up, and I took him to the park at like two thirty in the morning and walked him around the park, just laughing still because I just couldn't sleep. So I was just, I was just so excited about this epiphany and this this funny loop that had gone on. And it was just this one line that I'd read before, but never read it kind of in that way. So yeah, that was funny. It was the same, similar experience when that dead bird taught me that life and death are one and the same thing. And my mind was just blowing. It was like a volcano. And I, I just, every person I came into contact with, I'm like, do you realize? Oh, God, it's just that mind blown. It's just that epiphany. It's just because uh, you're coming into that raw truth, that raw logic of it, and the simplicity of that, that tiny little kernel is enough to satisfy you more than more than a whole cob of corn. You know, it's yeah. just that one little kernel. It's just yeah. like Cause you, so it, nourishing. You, you, you sort of you get the truth, but then you you directly experience the truth. I think yes. that's, that's what blows yes. the lid off. You're like, yeah. what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. They're one and the same thing. <laughs> it's like Zoolander when he's looking in the mirror. He's like, who am I? I guess I've got a lot to ponder. <laughs> What's left to ponder? <laughs> uh, uh, wrap it up. All right, man. 
Go and get some food, mate. Thank you all yeah. for tuning in. Thanks, uh, we'll, guys. We'll see you all next week with Glenn Poole. Yes. Thank you for tuning in to the Woke Blokes podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. Also, leave us a five-star rating. We thank you so much, and we'll see you all next time.